Welcome to the Global Band Room, a podcast about bands and musicians across the world. My name is Keith Kelly and I'm a band director from the west coast of Ireland. Each episode, I sit down with musicians to talk about their stories and bands and how they're making an impact in their communities. Before we start, you can find out more about the podcast and the people and stories that we feature over at globalbandroom.com and you can also find us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Global Bandroom. All of the Global Bandroom podcasts are brought to you by Kaleidoscope Adventures. Find out how you can travel beyond expectations at mykatrip.com. Now on with the show. Hello and welcome back to the Global Bandroom. Uh, I've been on a bit of a break over the last couple of weeks, uh, from the podcast at least, um, uh, where I've been traveling uh, in the United States and in the UK and I've been able to record some episodes on location for the first time in two years, for the first time in the history of the podcast. I haven't been recording from my office slash studio here in Ireland. So today is one of those first episodes. Um, I was traveling in the in the US. I was able to go to South Carolina a Music Educators Association con- convention, and then to TMEA to Texas to the to the to the big convention in Texas. And uh, today's episode is a handful of some of the guests that I was able to speak to during those conventions, talking to them a little bit about their work, um, uh, their specialities, and I think in each one of these cases, you'll find that they are people that I'm excited to talk about and do full interviews uh, later on in the year with um if this is your first time listening to the podcast you can find out all about the guests that i've interviewed over the last two years over at globalbandroom.com and you can subscribe and listen to the podcast anywhere on apple spotify anywhere that you get your podcasts and listen to some of the amazing guests that we have coming up over the next couple of months so enjoy this special convention episode well I am at South Carolina Music Educators Association Conference here. It's my first time in South Carolina Welcome. and I'm absolutely delighted to uh, be able to talk to Emily Williams-Birch who is the podcast host of Music Ed Matters, uh, another Kaleidoscope Adventures sponsored podcast as well. And we talked recently on your podcast mm-hmm. with Brian Clissold and we mm-hmm. talked a little bit about travel and, and music education and why they're so close. Uh, so I'm delighted to be here. A lot of my listeners aren't from the US so they may not know what one of these conferences are like but every state has one of these conferences could you mm-hmm. tell me a little bit of what what this is Actually, sure yeah well I just want to say it's so nice to meet you in yeah. person I'm thrilled that you're here during what we call pollen season so <laughs> my voice sounds so beautiful because <laughs> there's jasmine things and magnolia things blooming and anyway it's wonderful in the south don't be afraid to come visit us anytime but these conferences happen all over the country there's two major education organizations the um, and well, multiple if you talk about band too, but there is the National Association for Music Education, right. lovingly referred to as NAFME. And each of those NAFMEs um, have regions and have states. And so there's state conferences. Last week there was the Georgia Music Educators. This week is South Carolina Music Educators. Next week Next you're going week to Texas. The big Texas one, yes. and people may have heard about that. And so, stu- so like, people may have heard of Midwest Clinic, but this is quite different because mm-hmm. students are actually actively involved yes. in these conferences, right? And we've yes. seen that yesterday. We we went to a band rehearsal yes. last night together, and I actually got to see what, what the students are up to, and I, I don't usually get the opportunity to do that. So That's so cool, So the really. students are involved like mm-hmm. in these in these conferences. They audition to be part mm-hmm. of all-state groups, right? Right. So the one you saw last night was an intercollegiate 
honor band. Right. So those are colleges all across the state of South Carolina. Those students had to audition. They are here for an extended period of time with a master clinician, honing their craft both as professional musicians and as future educators for some of the people in that room. So it is definitely so cool to see. There's students here getting a lot out of it. So some of my students are pre-service teachers, and they're here just to go to sessions and learn wow. from some of the presenters. There's students like you saw yesterday in those rehearsals learning from the clinician and then there are teachers there are admins there are so many different types of people here you come for pedagogy for ideas for networking right. all of those things and what i found amazing about watching it and i said this to you last night too is that uh, bands is just so similar across the world and you know, watching that rehearsal last night, the pacing of the rehearsal, uh, some of the, the, the reactions that students were giving. I could have been sitting at home in, in Ireland in a, in a band rehearsal. It was so similar. Now, you're, com you're from the choir world. Mm -hmm. How similar is a choir rehearsal and a band rehearsal? We talked a little bit about we that did. yesterday. It was, I'm so glad you were with me to go into that band <laughs> yeah. rehearsal. I hadn't been in a band rehearsal since high school. I played oboe, so I know what was going on. <laughs> knew what she was talking about. But it's very different because right. she was very energetic and fixing rhythms and lots of vocal modeling, that made my heart very happy. Lots of vocal modeling and singing and having them play back and breaking down sections. But what I noticed was she would work with a particular section and everyone else would be quiet. Right, and yeah. Like it's quiet in a choir room, but like we're talkers. <laughs> and so you can work with the Sopranos for a little bit, but don't leave the alto centers and basses by themselves too, too long. They're going to get antsy. So right. that was really fascinating. So you like the discipline of the, the Oh, my the goodness. Do you think, I wonder whether like marching band has something to do with like maybe. that aspect of discipline, maybe? Okay, so interesting you say that. One of the first <laughs> articles I had my students read this semester in their music ed methods classes was the difference between choral educators and band educators mm. in a study that was done on do you hear pitch or rhythm errors first? And the study found that band people significantly found rhythmic Rhythm. errors before yeah. they found pitch errors I, I would and agree. vice versa with yeah. choir. And so last night it was fascinating to see most everything she was fixing was rhythmic and stylistic. Well, there's um, Mark Heron, who's the head of wind band in the Royal Northern College of Music, like absolute legend. Uh, he was over conducting the Irish Wind Orchestra recently and he said to us like, the notes don't matter. If we play the notes in the wrong place, they're going to be wrong anyway. Right. So that, that, and that's his attitude. That's with a Robert like, Shaw is too. We need to get the rhythm yeah. right first. So that's Robert Shaw, being like the epic, massive choral conductor of right. the past, would always say, and you can watch his recordings of these <laughs> rehearsals from when he was at Carnegie. But he says, you can sing the wrong note at the right time, and at least you're fifty percent correct. <laughs> <laughs> but if you're at the wrong time with the wrong note, you are 100% <laughs> wrong if you are at the wrong time. So that's fascinating. But yeah. I did. I loved her pacing and that it was this, not that. Lots of this, not that. But then you said something fascinating about slowing down versus speeding up because they're right. practicing fingerings mm -hmm. and techniques mm -hmm. and bands so related to the kinesthetic of your fingering, mm -hmm. whereas vocally it's more your technique and your ability to control your air and your mechanism. So talk a little bit about that. Well, well I have I have a few different opinions on this. I think sometimes slowing down is incredibly important, particularly if you know that the students are reading through the passage, it's an early reading of it, maybe they're struggling with the passage. Those students last night, though, were very capable. I mean, we could hear that mm -hmm. at the very beginning of the rehearsal. And so what I noticed about the conductor was that she didn't slow down when they were repeating and going through that rep... rep uh, that... that rep... rep it was like these fast sixteenth note passages, right? And she didn't slow down, and and I really enjoyed watching her doing that because 
when you're practicing fast passages like that, a lot of the time it's about the sequence. And so practicing that sequence at speed, at tempo, is incredibly important because slowing it down sometimes, uh, it doesn't really help to get that sequence under your fingers. It changes fingers. the way it yeah. feels. I'm yeah. thinking about piano. Right. Right, and so. so you'll see some bands that struggle to get that, that tempo up because they're always practicing at that, those slower mm -hmm. speeds, and it doesn't really help. It, it, there's a place for it, but we don't need to always slow down and very slowly work up. It does actually help to practice at that tempo and just let that sequence start falling under your fingers. Now, I find that incredibly, incredibly important, and it was great to see the band doing that yesterday. It was so cool. The other thing I found that was fascinating watching her re rehearse, the pacing, the way she was modeling, all of those things are so similar to choir work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But she had this analogy. She was doing this piece that had very much of a salsa-like feel. Right. And she, she got into this kick. She's like, I want it to be like sriracha. And you sound like ketchup. ketchup. And it was hilarious. <laughs> and immediately their sound changed. Yeah. And I had this thought, and I want to know your, your mm -hmm. answer. In choir, I would need to give the tip of technique. That means open your mouth more, separate your teeth more, add more air, bring the sound more forward. I would give some type of vocal technique right. clue to get that sound of the sriracha I wanted. Mm -hmm. She didn't give anything, but they changed. Yeah. Why does that work? Well, I'm not probably the best place to answer that, and i tell you why. I, in Ireland, most music educators, most band directors, we're not trained to be music educators, right? And I'm, I'm sure we, we're gonna have a great conversation about that in yes. a future episode, I'm sure. Um, we're trained to be musicians first. Uh, I was, I went straight from high school right into the army, was trained as a professional musician for years, and uh, so taught myself to be a band director. And anyone else that's out there that may have gone to third level education, and uh, they would have studied music performance. You don't study band and music education okay. in, in Ireland and most other places around Europe as well. It's really kind of unique to, to America. You may study music education, but it's not necessarily about teaching a true band. So I've taught myself to teach band and I teach a huge amount through analogy. So actually watching okay. her yesterday was a lot of vindication that I haven't, you know, gone, gone, gone the wrong way with how I teach. I use a lot of visual aids. I use a lot of uh, analogy. I use a lot of um, just uh, referring to ideas that they might know. I teach using the idea of color a lot. Mm -hmm. I want a more I want a bluer sound. Mm -hmm. I want a bright red. There's sound so many similarities this, there. You know? Yeah, really. Right. So you would, you would I use, use colors. Right. I a lot of times I'll talk about blooming a flower in mm. your mouth to get right. that crescendo with space and air. And those things that make you feel and see and change something right. innately without knowing what it is. It, and, and, you know, I think one of my favorites is I'm, I'm a clarinet player and I love that deep, low, chalamu range. And I'll use the term of chocolatey mm. a lot. And it changes how they, it's richer, it's mm -hmm. deeper, it's sweeter. When I, when they, and, you know, it really helps. And right. particularly for you, I teach a lot of younger students. And my band is, uh, you know, eight years of age right up into their mid-80s, right? It's a, <laughs> it's a full range of people. We call that um, intergenerational bands. <laughs> and, and all bands in Ireland are That's intergenerational so cool. like that. My daughter is my youngest. And then we have uh, a man in, uh, that, that's 82 and, and they're all still learning and learning from each other and it's great. But uh, when you're dealing with younger children, that, those analogies really help because trying to teach them, you know, too much sort of pedagogy or um, uh, physical changes that they need to be making. I think it's very difficult at that mm -hmm. younger age. Teach them, ask them to play something chocolatey. They, they'll, they get it. They get it. Yeah. I think yeah. that would be my biggest takeaway from yesterday's rehearsal, right. that pacing matters know what you want it to sound like and give them some analogies to get them there. Mm -hmm. Don't be afraid to pull a part out and practice it and get it the way you want it to sound because she yeah. was very adamant. I want this. 
right. and then celebrate because she's celebrated when it was she gave that kiss at the end oh yes. it was beautiful yeah and the, and the students you could see there was good energy in the room mm -hmm. they all were enjoying being there um, and, and, and it must be such a great opportunity for them having come to audition for All State to be there and to actually be having this positive experience right. as well I can't wait to hear what yeah. they have to say hey absolutely. thanks for talking about this absolutely I'm delighted I, I have three questions for you for okay. my off the rest off, off okay here we go I'm ready not really so what is your best marathon time <laughs> I bet. Thank your you. Personal record. Thank you for asking a question. I'll know the answer to. Three eighteen twenty nine. Three eighteen. Wow, that that is amazing. So, like, my second question is, what is your main hobby outside of music? So uh, marathoning. Yeah, right. running. Yes. So, particularly marathon, mar yes. marathon running. Do you find that it, that complements your music and it's a arts process. world? We love right. process. We, we're working towards a product, which is the PR. Right. We're working towards the concert. Right. And right. we're working through a process. So, I love being. I'm in week six of my marathon training plan for the Boston Marathon this coming April. Wow. So I love being in the middle of a plan, working towards something that's just the same process. Like when I'm running yeah, and yeah. it feels bad, I think about running through air instead of running through mud. It's very much <laughs> like rehearsal. But it also gives me the time to process what's going on in my own world so I can be a better teacher. When, when I'm running, uh, Emmy, I'm running through pain. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what I'm running through. Just got to get past that. That's part <laughs> okay, of the fun. Very different question then. Third question, last question. What's your favorite beer? <laughs> All right. I'm glad you asked that one. So I really love bourbon barrel aged beers. Oh. I really, really love them, but they have such a finite season and they're mm. sometimes so hard to find. I love Kentucky, Burl, uh, Kentucky barrel aged ales a lot. Mm. Um, just they're so smooth and so delicious, but I also love a good sharp cider like Ooh. super sharp nice and cold and crisp yeah so it's a tie between those like two a and slightly slight bitterness yeah just it. a little tiny yeah. bit but okay. they kind of, those complement each other because they're usually not the same season right ish but i, I have to tell you because you're in ireland <laughs> guinness does not taste the same over here at it's all got better uh, it's still different <laughs> so i only i will only allow myself to drink guinness when i'm over yeah, on your side of the water <laughs> and i look forward idea. to it. it's the first thing i have when i'm I looking step forward to having land. you back over there at some yes stage can't wait and show you where the best guinness is oh, in, in because it's very different in different parts of really? ireland too yeah yeah yeah, Ooh, yeah that'll be a fun conversation yes, absolutely well listen great having you emily uh, before we go um we are going to do a full episode mm -hmm. very soon on both my podcast mm -hmm. lessons from the choir room we're going to have on the global band room and we're gonna i'm gonna be on your podcast talking about music education in ireland uh, but before we go where can people find out more about your podcast oh, and what awesome. you do thanks for asking yeah. you can find the music ed matters podcast on instagram it's music ed matters podcast you can find us wherever you listen to your podcast so apple music spotify google stitcher all those things or you can go to emily birch b-u-r-c-h.org slash podcast there's a bunch of links there you can also find me personally on instagram it's at Dr. M-E-B, it looks like Dremmy. <laughs> Dr. M-E-B is on uh, Instagram. But really, I'd love to hear from you. I absolutely adore my friends overseas, and I'm really thankful that we get to see each other face-to-face. Yeah, -face. that's great. Well, listen, thanks, Emily. Thanks. The next interview with Adam Keita is absolutely fascinating, but for the first 60 seconds or so, I hadn't got his microphone turned up fully. I did eventually realize it. I turned it up fairly quickly, um, and it will. The sound quality does improve about 60 seconds into this interview. So it is still day one of TMAA and I'm delighted to be able to welcome someone that I met through Facebook, like many of my, my colleagues and, and, and contacts over the last uh, over the last two years because of the pandem pandemic. Uh, I'm well, I'm well, welcome to the Global Band Room, Adam Keita. Yeah. Hello, nice to meet you, sir. And uh, this is probably my 
well over 10 times of being here at PMEA and every year I keep coming back and it's just fantastic year after year after year. The people I meet, the clinics I get to go see and watch and learn, it just never ends in filling my musical toolbox. So it's just a pleasure to be back year after year. Uh, it's, you know, I remember being at Midwest a couple of years ago and it was my first time at Midwest and someone said to me, oh, you should go to TMA, that's even bigger. And I was like, nah, it can't get bigger than Midwest. And then you get to Texas and it's actually bigger. It's it's huge. I mean, I don't know, how do people navigate what clinics they're going to go to? Because at any one time, there's like maybe five or six options. Yes, well, the thing I like about TMEA specifically is that it addresses all levels, like elementary music, through uh, middle school, through high school, through college. And so there's many, many different areas. And then there's the clinic that address all of them that, that are very general. Um, you know, you, you go to where you feel like you don't know anything about or, or you go to support a colleague and you go and support them and you share their ideas, go back to your own program. And you're right. Some I look. I build my schedules, and there's like two or three I want to go to at the same time, plus a concert. Right. And it's really hard to decide what you want to go to. But also nowadays, you know, people can create a website. Like, oh, you missed my clinic? Go to this website and watch the video of me teaching. And right. so, with the technology advances, you can really watch any of these clinics whenever you want. And and just the opportunity to. Um meet people again like because because as music educators we're, we're we're actually quite certainly in ireland and i'm sure to a degree here even even in texas you're kind of isolated you know you're not you know you're part of a big school program but you're the music educator you may only have a couple of colleagues if you're in texas El elsewhere in the world you might be the only person so to actually be at an event like this and out on the the, the river walk and meeting other directors i think that's probably what particularly after the pandemic right i think that's one of the most important parts about being here Yes, and just to have moments where you can be sociable again yeah. with other people. Like I feel like now we don't even talk pedagogy or classroom management stuff anymore. <laughs> We're just talking about how we have been recovering after the pandemic or even still during the pandemic. Yeah. And so I feel like that's just we're just happy to see each other again. We're not we're not trying to stuff our toolboxes just yet. We're just trying to share what we have learned, what the pandemic has taught us and how we can move forward and still yeah. continue back on the same path of having a strong music education foundation for our students. So, so Adam, one of the ways we got to talking about it, talking to each other, um, obviously the topic of diversity, equity and inclusion is huge in the band world at the moment and that you're seeing more and more clinics. But one of the areas that gets maybe forgotten is um, areas of, of disability. And you have uh, been working quite a lot to raise awareness of uh, mu music educators and musicians and students that are hard of hearing, um, and uh, deaf and hard of hearing. So can you tell me a little bit about your work in this area? Because I'm not sure that it's something that many musicians who rely so much on their hearing really think about. Yes, um, I really came into it about a year and a half, two years ago when I was finishing up my master's degree at Texas State University just trying to figure out what I wanted my main project to be because the main project was put together a clinic type proposal that you would submit for music educated conventions and my uh, advisor said hey Adam find something that touches you that deeply something that is only maybe you can relate to and that just opened up my eyes you know what I really should talk about my experiences being a musician 
being an educator going into the education field as a deaf and hard of hearing musician and educator. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I kind of just went through the system myself and I really did not ask for a lot of accommodations growing up. I right. really can hear quite well in my own opinion compared mm -hmm. to those who really are really close to being deaf to have very little hard of hearing, very, very little hearing, mm -hmm. and they really need the top of the line uh, technologies to hear. And I really want to get it out there on how to address these students when they come in because we are, I, I believe we are more aware of the visible disability, yeah. disabilities such as, you know, st student missing part of a limb. You can see in their body before they even approach you that they have a disability. And you can, we have more, I believe we have more experiences with how to cope with that versus the invisible disability that's in the ears, inside the head. And we don't know how to address it. And you see an incoming fifth grader want to come into your band program or orchestra program and or a choir program and then you start to hear them speak and you can hear them speak differently mm -hmm. and you're like oh maybe you went through some speech therapy okay or maybe you're still in speech therapy okay these are just things that when these kids come in the music educator can go yes i want to reach that kid yeah. that kid deserves just as much of a chance as any quote-unquote average student who walks in the door and i've talked to some colleagues in my district and in the state and they said oh man i had a trumpet player that was deaf and hard of hearing and I, I didn't know how to address him or her in my rehearsal. Or, oh man, this is in my choir. I didn't know how to address this. And so like people would come up to me. I had a fine arts administrator from the Houston area call me. Adam, I have a colleague in my district that we feared the worst. She confirmed that she's losing her hearing. I don't know what to do. Your mm -hmm. name came to my head. What can I do for her? And so it's really like, you know what? I need to put something together for this. Right. I need to meet with other people who are in the same boat as me. We need, I want to collaborate with them. I want to gather ideas and see what we can share out there, not just for uh, current music educators in the field, but also in the college level, in the music education courses. Mm -hmm. I feel like that needs to be addressed. Not a whole lot, but it needs to be addressed a little bit. And, and you have also talked to me briefly about the idea of how we can actually do marching band differently and, and the problems that can come up during marching band rehearsals for people that are hard of hearing or, or deaf. Yes, and yeah. making sure that you have the right accommodations on a big marching band field. And yeah. we have seen some right. marching bands that, that cover the whole span of a football field. You can just imagine the color guide member that's on the back half of the field all by him or herself and they expected to hear the the director from the front that <laughs> right. maybe talking on a long ranger or something. Mm -hmm. and we have to accommodate for that kid and make sure that that kid all the way back there hears and, and get the same experience as everybody else on that right. field. And not just for that student, but also how to protect the hearing of that child and everybody else. So if you take a big marching band, you have to put them inside for a rehearsal or because it's raining or, whatever, or they're in a warm up room in the Alamo Dome. You have to be aware of how to protect that kid's hearing yeah. because students like or people like myself who are already losing hearing, you put them in an environment like that where you're not aware of how to make sure that they're safe, it can, it can worsen their hearing. And we don't really. want that either. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm really looking forward to di di diving a lot more into this in, uh, in a future episode. I, I hope you'd be willing to come back onto the podcast and speak to me for about an hour because I think we've probably raised more questions than answers. Um, right here. I'd love to talk to you about your research, uh, about your masters and some of the solutions that you are finding might be work 
working for you? Of course. No, I'm always happy to help. I, I don't think this is an area that's going to go away. I do wish more people had these kind of questions in the back of their head because you just never know who's going to walk into that door into your, as a fifth grader coming into middle school or going into high school or you're at the college level and a student wants to audition on their instrument and you notice that they're deaf and hard of hearing, how can you help them? Yeah. I think that there needs to be more, be made more awareness of how we can help them. Well, I'm looking forward to finding it at it, finding out about that and asking you more questions and talking to you soon. Excellent. Thank you, Thanks. sir. So it is the final day of SEMEA and uh, I've been able to speak to some uh, of the directors of bands and directors of universities over the, the last couple of days and I'm delighted now to welcome uh, Patrick Murrer from South Carolina State University. Um, yes. I, I got that right. Yeah? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you're the director of bands. So tell me a little bit about the program, the type of bands that you have there. Uh, we're, we're lucky to have in some universities in, in, uh, in, in Europe, we're lucky to have like a single ensemble a single band, mm -hmm. but your your university has multiple bands. Tell me a little bit yeah. about them. So I'm I'm director of bands at South Carolina State University. We have marching band, we have, do concert band. Generally, we might have two concert bands. Uh, we also have jazz band. We have brass quintet. We also have percussion ensemble, and then we have our pep band, which performs at all of the men and women home basketball games, or if we need to do any other smaller events uh, where we don't need the entire band. Right uh, from okay. there. Um, how, how long are you with the with the university? I've Patrick? been there since 2018. Okay, it's a um, South Carolina State. It's a historically black college in HBCU. Um, so we do uh, more of what's called a show style mm. type of performances. We will perform more um, music that you will hear like every day on the radio. Yeah, yeah. A lot yeah. of um, classic songs um, that the crowd can sing and really dance to. So all those type of things really get the crowd up and moving um, the entire time. So it's a lot of energy, huge amount of energy um, that I've seen. Like I've, I haven't, I haven't seen. Uh, I, I've actually never been to a football game, so that's something that I'm gonna have to change. <laughs> yeah, you should go in to coming years. Definitely I really go to need one. to get to a football game to see some of the bands sometimes. But um, yeah, there's a huge amount of energy. And one, one of the things I do notice is that like there's there's an influence by like pop music and huge amount of huge bass. influence. Like, how many saxophones are you guys using? Yeah. the amount of bass that you hear. We've from had anywhere from um, 12 to 20 sousaphones, well. you know, at some points in time, um, you know, depending on the, the year, the size of the seminary students are in the school, um, things right. like that. But, I mean, we're just like a lot of other HBCU bands. So, again, we, we pick a lot of different popular music, things that, um, you know, crowd, all the, everyone in the crowd is pretty much going to probably know the songs. We do things from the older generation all the way up to the newer generation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we do different dance routines. It's a great way to take a song that you hear and then figure out a different way to elevate it to a whole new level. Um, and now, because of social media, we can immediately post things. We can connect with the artists who wrote those songs, right. and now they get to hear their music being played by all these colleges and, and, and universities. And those bands are like being featured by artists yeah, yes. now a huge yes. amount then as well, right? Yeah, we like, see a lot of things with Beyonce, yeah. uh, a lot of big local artists as well. Um, they they love it. Um, Lizzy was, was like she's kind of famous for. Oh the, yeah, yes. The, 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 she marched with uh, like yeah, in she a plays flute. band. Yeah, that's right. And she's mm. like, it, 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 like she had her local band or her. Yeah, her she's done things with uh, Southern University. Right. Some other bands too. Um, now we've got artists who put out challenges to bands to like whoever can play the best arrangement of their song, then they make uh, contribution donations to the programs. So it, it's it's a great it's a great, uh, new experience for a lot of for a lot of people, mm -hmm. um, but it's again it's a great 
great experience for everyone. So when I was in my own band growing up, I was my I was a drum major with my mm -hmm. band, and uh, drum major means something very different depending on where in the world you are. Yes. Uh, you know, it could be from conducting to being a mace drum major. Your drum majors are like really unique as well. Then, like, yes. like tell me about that style. So our drum majors, of course, they do carry maces. Um, they do conduct some, but of course they're the first ones to really kind of hype the crowd, bring yeah. the energy, lots of different dancing, and the band feeds off their energy, and then the, they feed off the energy of the crowd. <laughs> um, they're generally the first people that touch the field before the rest of the band comes on, so they give like a little pre-show to the actual that's cool. show that's going to be taking place. That's cool. And uh, pep band then is obviously like something that's that's incredibly important yeah. too. Yeah. And like pep how, band how big, big how big would a pep band be when they're at? A Generally, game we do about thirty people in a okay. pep band. It's easy to travel yeah. um, that way. We still get to do all the same different song selections though with those with that same amount of people. But it fits better I indoors. Mm -hmm. And also, if we do like small trips over to like different schools. For quick performances, it's much easier to take you know 30, 40 people than right. try to move a hundred to two hundred plus people. I'm <laughs> yeah, um, in that way. Uh, and you were saying that you have two concert bands. Um, how's that divided up? Is that like a uh, is there a standard required for yeah, one band? Yeah. So when we do the two, when we do the two concert bands, we do one that's like our main top players is an audition based right. band, and the second band is just for anyone can play in it. Um, the audition-based band will play higher, more difficult level of music, okay. and the concert band, even though they still play challenging music, it's um, not as difficult as the what the other band would play. Okay. It's more of learning, uh, working on reading skills, fundamentals, and things like that. So tell me, um, when your university is at a, at a at a convention like this, we we don't really have conventions where you can go along and see like uh, you know top instrument manufacturers and colleges mm -hmm. and so on. What's the main goal here? Like a recruitment is one, I'm sure, right? Yeah, recruitment, um, the main thing is to one, be visible. Right. Um, let people know um, about your program. Uh, we do have a lot of new teachers who do come in the area every year and they want to know more about the school because again, we want to recruit their students. So it's to be visible. But also, just like yesterday, I had my percussion ensemble perform. It's a performance opportunity for the students um, to get to perform in front of many educators from the entire state and from you know guest That's people cool. who are coming in as well too. So they get that main experience of performing on a huge stage, um, preparing new music, and again, making networking, making new connections with people that they may be working for someday. We do have a lot of principals, a lot of other administrators that come in that are looking for new talent, new people who are looking for jobs. And this is a great way to introduce and make, make all those networks. Well, I'm delighted that you're after being able to come over and tell me a little bit about the college. I'd love to find out more maybe on a future episode and kind of dig in a bit deeper. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but before you go, I want to find out a little bit about you uh, mm -hmm. on the Off the Rostrum section. So uh, let's start with an easy one. What is your favorite movie of all time? Oh, man. You know, that's actually not an easy <laughs> one. Um, I'm, uh, I'm a simple guy when it comes to movies. Okay. If, it, if, if things are blowing up, <laughs> there's cars, there's action. I'm, I'm all in for all it. All right, okay. Um, so pretty much anything, anything that involves that, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm that guy that will sit there and watch the same movie because there's so many explosions that's okay. taking place. Good answer. Okay, so I'm in South Carolina right now at the moment. This is my first time here. I've had some amazing food over the last couple of days. But what is the best South Carolina dish that I have to try? Um, because it's so close to the water, anything seafood right, is going okay. to be the best thing for you to get. Um, okay. I, I, I love seafood, so whenever mm -hmm. I can go and get nice, authentic, fresh seafood, it is, it's, 
It makes your heart happy. Okay, that's a great answer. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to. You're the second person to say that today, so I'm gonna have to go and get seafood today. And very last uh, question then for you. Then, who is your hero? Ah, man. You know, I've had so many mentors uh, who have really pushed me along the way. Uh, my mom will probably be definitely the top of the list as far as my hero because. She's always so proud of me. She always pushes me. Um, even when I think I can't do something, she's always just like, that's nonsense. You can do it. That's Stop great. it. Um, so definitely my mom is one of my heroes. Definitely is my biggest fan. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. As, they, as all moms should be. Right? Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> well, Patrick, it's been great me- meeting you. I'm going to have links to the program and to, to, um, to all your, your, the, the areas that we talked about today in the show notes. So thank you. Enjoy the rest of the conference. Hey, thank you. I appreciate it. So it is the final day at SEMEA, and uh, I'm delighted to be able to speak with um, with Paul Beyer uh, from Clemson University. Um, can you tell me a little bit about the program and what your role is there within the program? Yeah, sure, Keith. Uh, I serve as director of percussion and director of music uh, in our Department of Performing Arts, and uh, we have a collaborative degree uh, with music, audio technology, and theater. Uh, all within one major, within one building. Uh, I teach the percussion ensemble, the steel band, I oversee the drum line, I teach a world music course, and a lot of the percussion lessons. We talked a little bit yesterday um, about about drum corps. You're a drum corps guy. You're an yes. alumni of Star of Indiana, right? I am, yes. Yeah. I marched in 1989-1990. I was in the front ensemble, and uh, it was really a catalyst, a uh, great experience for me when I was younger. Right. I mean, it's it, it's sort of a legendary core, a legendary story. I think the fact that they sort of discontinued makes them even more legendary, right? Yeah, I was. a lot of us were sorry to see them uh, leave DCI because they right. were doing so well. But, you know, they eventually became Blast, and right. uh, they've done some phenomenal things musically uh, around the world and just very proud of uh, where they came from and how they started and being a part of it. So the reason I bring it up is because you are talking, you were talking to me about the program at Clemson and talking to me about how it's integrated into theater and, and into the various other aspects of what you do. I wonder how much of your time within Star of Indiana has actually sort of helped to kind of develop that sense of integration and entertainment and theater into, into what you do. Oh, absolutely. I think uh, Star of Indiana helped me in a lot of ways, mostly the staff and the discipline to practice that much. Mm-hmm. And But certainly working with a lot of different entities in the drum corps um, has helped me with collaboration and teamwork and uh, working toward a common goal and all of those things. Um, I mean, I was 18, 19 when I, when I marched star, and that has definitely stayed with me uh, for, for a long time. So tell me a little bit about, more about Clemson University. Uh, whereabouts in the, the state is it? Um, what, what, how many students would it have um, generally? Yeah, we are in uh, the city of Clemson, South Carolina. We are in between Charlotte, North Carolina, and Atlanta, Georgia, so about two hours from each city. And uh, we are at about, uh, I'd say, 25,000 students. Wow. Uh, we are growing. And uh, we had about 50,000 applications for freshmen this past year. Amazing. So it's just exploding. And uh, it's a beautiful campus. Uh, it's very driven by the football tradition. Uh, Clemson Tigers have been in the um, college football playoff um, six out of the last seven years with two national championships. So 
Uh, I'm on the, on the band staff with the marching band. We, mm-hmm. We're called Tiger Band. Cool. Yeah, and we get to go to all those games, and uh, we're a big supporter of the football team and the coach. So with the football team being as successful as it is, is the, does that bring benefits for a marching band? Is there is there additional funding? Is there additional support when the football team is doing well? Yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> um, there's not additional funding. Okay. I, I'd say there's additional support because we're such a big part of the game day atmosphere. Right. We're one of the few college marching bands in the country that actually go to every single football game. Really? Either a pep band, a smaller pep band, or the full band. Wow. So athletics, athletics pays for all of that. And um, it does help with recruiting, certainly. You know, we're on TV a lot. Uh, we're very visible. And a lot of people want to be, be part of the culture uh, at Clemson. And uh, Tiger Band's on a very similar trajectory, I would say, as a football team and as you know, one of the best uh, marching bands in the country. Growing and improving yeah. all the time. What Definitely. sort of size would the would the band be at this point? Yeah, we're we're capped at 356 members. Okay. And uh, we have to have auditions and have had to cut some members, both winds and percussion, in past years. So we do a video audition uh, round, and then we'll do an in-person audition. And so it's a very large marching band. Mm. Um, not not the largest in the country by any means but uh, on the larger side T- tell me then proportionately how many would be music majors that will be within the band yeah so we have a um as i mentioned our, our degree is a little unique it's a bachelor of arts in performing arts so our music majors in the band is, is low mm-hmm. um as far as percentage so out of the 356 we might have honestly we might have uh, 15 to 20 majors so right. our, our program is really driven by non-majors, by non-majors. Um, we have some music minors also, mm-hmm. uh, but these students are, they're very bright. It's very difficult to get into Clemson. They're engineers, they're architects, they're majoring in genetics and biochemistry. Um, and they are, uh, they want to play and they want to keep music as a big part of their lives. And they're very passionate about it and they're competitive. And um, so you can't teach that, you know, they're very intrinsically motivated right. and they don't have to be in the band. Which is great because we're not. They're, whole, they're choosing. They're choosing to be, choosing there, to be right? in the band. And that, and that just brings a totally different mo- motivation. Right? Yes. And I think like most of my European listeners will understand that you know because we're community based and it's after school. Mm. Everyone that's there is well, in theory, wanting to be there themselves. It may be a bit a little bit of parents sometimes, <laughs> but for the most part, they they want to be there, and it does. It makes it makes all the difference to, to the program. So when it, when a university like Clemson comes to uh, a state um, a, a state event like this. Uh, SEMA or TMA, where I am next week. Right. What's the main role of the of the the, the university at this uh, recruitment? Obviously, right. but are you are you targeting specific students? You you were saying that it's not necessarily music majors that you're looking for. Mm-hmm. So what's the what's the main role here? Yeah, I think uh, a lot of it is is building relationships with directors. So uh, the band, orchestra, and choral directors that are here. Um, you know, talking to them, even if it's once a year, you can build relationships at, at any conference convention right. when you see them on a regular basis. Uh, a lot of it is, it is recruiting, just uh, getting them to stop by the booth, answering their questions, making them aware of what we do offer uh, for non-majors and for majors, right. and uh, just being visible and uh, you know, networking with the profession, which is always a great, you know, we all need that. We all need professional development. We yes. need to go to the clinics and the concerts and, and see some of these artists and uh, it's it's good for our mental health and uh, for our professional development. Uh, I spoke to <laughs> to a couple of uh, fellow band directors at Midwest in uh, in December, and I think a lot of uh, 
a lot of the motivation behind going to these clinics sometimes is just to be able to put an arm around each other and say it's okay. Especially <laughs> we're now. struggling too. Yes, <laughs> uh, and everybody's in the same boat right. literally, and we're all struggling, you know, with recruiting, with retention, uh, with somewhat finances probably right. uh, within our programs, trying to get the students engaged and motivated and to stay with it, you know, because they're struggling in school, whether right. it's high school or college. Um, it's been a really difficult time for them and, and for the whole music profession. Uh, I know we're going to come out of this okay, but it's been uh, a, a quite a roller coaster of, of sorts to try to get them to stay with it and persevere. So one of the things that I'd like to do on the show is talk a little bit about repertoire from time to time as well. And uh, with you being a director of percussion, is there any wind band or maybe brass band uh, repertoire out there that you would like our listeners to know about that has great percussion? Or a composer that's maybe currently writing that's writing great percussion right. parts? Well, there, there's several, I think. Uh, my experience, as we talked about yesterday a little bit, I, did a, I played a lot of David Maslanka's music when I was right. in school. Uh, I went to the University of Arizona, and our director of bands, Greg Hansen, was very close with David Maslanka. So we played a Maslanka piece almost every semester. Fantastic. We called it Maslanka Madness. <laughs> and it was interesting. It was both frustrating and exhilarating because uh, the setup and the parts were very, very difficult and sometimes not idiomatic in terms of uh, the marimba or the vibraphone, things like that, tippany. Um, but when it was all said and done and you perform this music, I've never felt that, that sense of exhilaration with any other composer because of the accomplishment and, and just the power of his compositions. Uh, it, was, it was amazing. So you had to go through that struggle, that frustration, like, why did he write this? Or we can't cover all these parts? Or how are we going to get from this instrument to it, this instrument? It was insane, mm -hmm. but we worked it out. You know, he always put the onus on the performers. He's like, you guys are the players, figure it out. And we always did. Right. And that process, you know, what we weren't spoon-fed the part assignments and things like that. So we had to work a lot harder for David Maslanka's music. So what, what makes a great percussion feature within a wind band part? Like, what is it that you're looking for? Is it just keeping busy? <laughs> like, what, yeah. what is it that, that, that drives the percussionists to, to be motivated? That's an excellent question. Um, you know, I would say in wind band, we're, we're kept busy a lot. But yeah. I think what motivates us the most is parts that are well-written and that people can hear in the audience. Not, they're not hidden right. uh, within the balance of the ensemble. That can happen a lot with keyboard instruments, marimba vibes. Sometimes you see them playing, but you don't hear anything. Um, I think it's the contribution of the piece. Uh, it's the piece as a whole, how we fit into that and how it affects everybody equally. And uh, that's a I've had to think further about that. <laughs> yeah. That's a great question. Well, uh, hopefully yeah. um, soon we're going to have a, a Repertoire Happy Hour uh, podcast and we're going <laughs> to feature all percussion in that. It'd be great to have you oh, yeah, uh, absolutely. Back, back for that, Paul. Uh, before you go, uh, we're going to have some off the rostrum questions <laughs> and talk a little bit about some of your, your interests. Um, what is your favorite book or favorite author right mm. now? Uh, that is a wonderful question, too. Um, I am reading a new book by an author named Michael McLean. Okay. Um, and it's, it just came out last week. Uh, he's an um, entrepreneur who's been very successful. He's from uh, Ottawa, Canada. And uh, I've just come across him because the life lessons that he teaches to become successful are really about doing the opposite of 99% of what everybody else does. Okay. Everybody else kind of follows the crowd, does the mainstream that he calls it the mass of mediocrity, things like that. 
And I'm always looking to stand out, do things differently, trying to separate myself, my program, my students. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's not sold on Amazon or anywhere else. You have to go to uh, noblebook.com to get the book. And, um, you know, he's not an author by trade, but he really knows his stuff. And I've really connected with him. Definitely. Michael McLean. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Tell me, uh, if you could have dinner or drinks with any celebrity, uh, dead or alive, uh, who would it be? Yeah, no question. I'm a big sports fan. It'd be John Wooden, uh, okay. the great uh, UCLA basketball coach who won 10 championships. Wow. I've got about 15 of his books, oh, and wow. <laughs> uh, I'm kind of obsessed with leadership and coaching and culture and success, and I do a lot of reading. So John Wooden's just really one of the legendary coaches, teachers, leaders uh, that we've ever had in any industry. Okay. And I'd recommend all of his books as well, and I would love to sit down for, for an hour and just not even ask him questions, but uh, just listen to him speak and, and try to take as many notes as I could. <laughs> of course. Well, very last question then. We're in South Carolina. I've had some really good food here while I've been here. Uh, it's known for its comfort food. What's yeah. the best South Carolina dish that I should be having Man. this weekend? Well, if you're out in Charleston, I would say seafood. Um, you know, the grits are great out in the south. I'm from the Midwest in the Chicago mm-hmm. area. I'm not a big grits fan. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think South Carolina, you've got the, the meat in threes, you've got the sides, mm-hmm. um, can't go wrong with seafood steak, uh, okay. th- things of that nature. So there, okay. there's some good restaurants around. I have around. to try out some seafood. I haven't yes. had any su- seafood yeah. yet, so I'm going to yeah. have to try that out. Well, listen, it's absolutely great to meet you, Paul. And we're going to have links to all of the university and the programs uh, in the show notes. And, uh, enjoy the rest of the show. Thanks, Keith, very much. Appreciate you having me. So I am really happy to be able to welcome someone that I had on the Finding Drum Corps podcast back when we had a no drum corps season. And I found this guy, Austin Armstrong, during uh, I was researching drum corps on YouTube and he had this great video about how to pack for drum corps. And then I started looking at a lot of his content and he was doing some really fun stuff. So as you can hear, we have lots of brass now, perfectly (laughs) perfectly on time for for Austin. Austin, uh, delighted to have you back on the podcast. How, yeah, how are things? How's TMEA for you? It's it's great. Finally, great to be back in person after taking a year off. Uh, do everything that's been going on in the world, and it's been really exciting to see everybody that we haven't seen in years, and and really connect with everybody. And it's been great. So now you did uh, the the online TMEA last year. Yeah. I had done online Midwest as an exhibitor, sure, and decided that I was not going to do any of the conferences online after that. Uh, how how did you find the online clinics? It, it was it was a different kind of thing, especially as an educator. We have to do all of our stuff online for the most part sometimes. Right. Uh, um, in the last year or two, even and and to do a conference or a convention of any sorts or professional development in general online, you just really don't get that connection to where you're able to have feedback and questions and have dialogue. And I think that's one of the biggest things that we get out of being in person at TMEA finally this year is networking, um, communicating better, and and having a screen in front of you is just really not the most efficient way of communicating. And and we really, 
you can learn, sure, but it's not as efficient and yeah. as you really just don't have that interpersonal relationships with people to be able to understand on a deeper level where they're coming from, their experiences, and, and most importantly, perspective. Context. And yep. like you moved to the state yep. just before the pandemic as well. You had a year of teaching that, before I, this was, all happened, right? It was about right? a half a year of teaching half and then we got shut down. Yeah. And like events like this are so important for new directors that are moving into a state to start like developing relationships yeah, of so course, important of course and and that's that's the biggest thing especially because i didn't i didn't really have the opportunity to meet other band directors um or other young band directors uh down here to really kind of like i said network or just really get a feel for what's happening down here in such a prestigious state for music education and just yeah. education in general um and i didn't have that that opportunity really because we we're all isolated <laughs> so how have how have you found this year's tmea there's been super energy hasn't oh, there the energy's been unparalleled like everyone yeah. just you can tell that the energy here is just so positive everyone is so i didn't know what to expect because i i wasn't sure if the tone of it was going to be kind of hesitant and reluctant but everyone's just been full out super friendly everyone's been networking and and really just talking to everyone yeah. and seeing everyone just smiling and i mean smiling behind the masks of course but, <laughs> right. but really just hanging out and and talking about band and their experiences in the last two years of what's all of that stuff has been happening. And live music, live concerts. Oh, so like music everywhere. I've never seen a queue like the one that uh, for University of, no of Texas last night with uh, the Cavaliers. You know, talk oh. now that I'm talking to a drum corps brass guy, like down the hall. Wow, everyone's lined up. Even today for all the all-state performances and everything, seeing like all the f friends and families of these students finally get to see their students perform. Yeah, it's such a empowering and emotional thing for a lot of people that yeah. they've been missing out on. So plans for the rest of the year? You're you. I was talking to you before the podcast and taking a year off drum corps. Yeah. The first first year in a while that you yeah, won't be. It's active, been, yeah, right? It's, it's been a while. Um, I'm still active with the uh, the Scouts Alumni Board, right? Um, but having just gotten married and everything, I'm taking a year off and just really relaxing and and, and focusing on the home band and and uh, the high schoolers yeah. and everything and, and and settling all that. And the drum corps 50th season, we're you looking exciting. forward to it. Super. Do you exciting. think we're going to see anything new this year? So, anything special with some cores coming back? Yeah. First com competitive year in a we're, while. I think I think I think much like we're seeing at TMEA right now with that energy and that just excitement to be back yeah. on a full season and and bring co competition back this year and it's the 50th like yeah. i think it's such it's it is set up to be such an um, overwhelmingly positive experience for a lot of people and i've been talking to some uh i've been doing some recruiting for a couple different cores and stuff just you know on my own just kind of hey you guys should try check out this core this core and this core and, and i was talking to seattle cascades and and they have the cheapest they're uh they're boasting their cheapest um world-class tour uh tour fees this year wow but it's still it's still so expensive yeah. and so I, I i'm i'm such an advocate for scholarships and such an advocate for um reaching out to like local businesses and local art supporters um because uh that there's so many resources out there it, it's the biggest challenge facing the activity really right and i i certainly would love to have you back in the podcast in the future to talk about that because yeah. it's something that i think uh, a lot of people are coming to terms yep. with post-pandemic yeah. is that this is maybe something that we need to, to start addressing to, to in the activity. and, and yeah. understand what's going on but yeah I, it, that's a topic I could talk about all day <laughs> but but it's just it, I'm really excited to see what what the course put on this yeah. year I'm really excited I've been hearing a lot of great things about just people coming out with shows that are just gonna be 
powerful and positive and, and really some good messages coming out of these programs because you're starting to see, um, yeah, the music education is important, but they're, they're starting to realize, like most educators, that we need to really take care of our students, like mentally, and, and health health is such a big part of this pandemic and, and coming out and showing that we are all hurting the last two years yeah. and coming together and this whole concept of togetherness, like at TMEA this year, they're talking about more togetherness is one of the main themes. And I think we're going to see that and Jump Corps as well, and that, that it's gonna be positive. I do too. I think there's gonna be a lot of tears, Austin. A lot of tears. Okay. Well, listen, it's been great having Absolutely, you. Great always. having you back in the show. Looking forward to talking to you later on in the year, and hopefully seeing you at a Drum Corps event soon. Of course. Hope so. All right. <laughs> Thank you so much again for joining me and my guests in the band room this week. I'll be back next episode talking to more great guests from around the band world. So head over to wherever you get your podcast from and make sure you subscribe. If you've enjoyed the episode, maybe even leave us a review and share it with your band buddies. In the meantime, you can stay up to date with me on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Global Bandroom and on our website, globalbandroom.com. Until next time, I'll see you back in the bandroom.